Welcome to Full Stack Business Owner, where we are enhancing your full stack of skills to build wealth inside and outside your business. Now, it's a Q&A episode, Charlie. I'm curious because I want to see how you would describe it. How can people submit questions? Do you like hearing from people? I kind of feel like you're the type of guy that does. You know, when we started the podcast, I thought like we were talking to a void and I was like desperate for anyone to reply to an email. I need, or, I need validation. Yeah, please, someone <laughs> just reply. Let me know you're here. And then um, with the Facebook group when there's like three people in it, it's like I'd get a notification and it was just like either Bianca or you liking the post. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> Where, where now, I actually love it. Like now I get replies, I hear from people, we get questions and we get them in two places, Grant, in the really? Facebook group and on the email list. So if you do want to submit your questions for Q&A episodes like this one, please, you can do either of those and I'll put it on a list and we'll answer the ones we feel are worthy. Yes, sometimes we get shitty questions and I don't put them in the episode because I feel they're not the greatest of questions or appeal to the audience. But if you're a good question asker, you'll get a spot on the show. Yeah, agreed. And let me put it out there. If you're facing a pretty critical problem that's stopping you doing something, it's probably a pretty good question. So hit reply to the email, jump into the full stack business owner Facebook group, ask your questions away and we will filter them out. But Charlie, before we get started into this episode, let's cue Charlie the Vulture Valhers disclaimer. Charlie here from Full Stack Business Owner. I need to let you know that Grant, myself, and the Full Stack Business Owner team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you financial advice or pick investment products. We highly encourage you seek out and engage the use of professionals when making financial decisions or comparing investment products. All right, let's kick into it. By the way, hey, how did I, how did I become the vulture? <laughs> it was last episode. We like I'm just like a vulture to investments, <laughs> and I'm like totally for everybody who's listening. Go listen to the last episode. Charlie did say he was like an investment vulture. So there you go. I, I do actually feel like that. It's like I, I won't lie on that one. But let's dig into the Q and A. Let's not get too distracted on this one. All right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick out the questions, Charlie. We're going to riff on some context and then we'll dive heavy into it. So first question that has come through, and we shan't name names. We don't want to sort of put anyone on the spot. But the question is, what does a healthy business look like for a business owner's income? So for a business owner who is generating income from their business, which is obviously what we all do, what does a healthy business look like? How, how should they approach this, Charlie? I love this question for many reasons, um, and I'll express why. I think that what business owners are often not aware of is how much they can know going into business. So they don't have to guess. And I think a lot of business owners are guessing. So I'll give you the experience here. When uh, I started Valamedia, right, I didn't make an assumption that it would be profitable. I actually put in some research to work out the numbers beforehand. So I spent a lot of time going, okay, well, the cost of labor is this. These are the tools we need. This is what we're going to sell the service for. This is what the competitors sell the service for. And I actually worked out the margin and uh, the profit and what I would be able to pay myself and the recurring expenses all before ever actually like even taking a dollar in or really starting. What I did in previous companies were like, man, there's so much opportunity in uh, running this ads agency. I'm just going to get into it and then like it's all going to work out. <laughs> <laughs> 
So uh, I would look at this one when if someone's in a business and they've been running it a while and they're starting to ask these types of questions, it would kind of point to me that um, they potentially, and I'll say potentially, um, haven't necessarily spent the time on research or looking at what the business could be prior to getting into it and then really adjusting along the way. That was going to be my my critical point because I, I love this, which is we always get questions in which are always kind of symptom-related, which is, oh, what do I do in this situation? And it's actually a symptom of like a bigger root cause. And so I love that you call that out, which is like when you, yeah, <clears throat> when you start a business, you've already looked at profitability or you should have already looked at the profitability of it, but it's not a set and forget, right? Uh, we've spoken before about how like when I ran an SEO company, I kind of had this unique advantage with some profitability and I never looked back at it <laughs> until a couple of years later when I was like, my margins were shrinking and I was just trying to win work. And that's the key point is coming back to it repetitively. Now, Charlie, we actually look at ours probably twice a week (laughs) to realign, to reevaluate, to go how far have we strayed from what we originally planned? What are we seeing in the industry and how can we sort of readjust? And so always come back to that point of if you're asking this question, well, why are you asking this question? Have you actually planned it in advance? But imagine someone sitting there now, go for it, Charlie. So before we go into that, though, did you do any of that in your first business? Like in the original SEO agency, were you well researched or you just or checked your margin beforehand or was it a winging it thing? So it was a winging it to an extent. I knew how much it was going to cost me for a project, which was like a website. And then SEO knew the people that I needed. But then I never really calculated what would that look like for an income. It was like, well, how am I just going to make seven figures? Let's just go hard and fast. I've done it for other businesses in the past, like years ago, but that was a set and forget, which is like living the actual pain. So when I had a service to office business where we did like virtual addresses and virtual offices, we kind of painted the picture on the wall and they're like, oh, this is great, good margin. And they just never reverted back to it. So when we were like in the forest trying to like fight off the snakes and everything like that, we never went back up and looked at the whole forest and said, oh, wait, we deviated. So we discounted stuff. We didn't uh, approach marketing and sales the same way just because we never actually realigned and recalibrated. As a matter of fact, I don't think they've ever changed their price in like five years. <laughs> these are the well, why I bring this up is these are some of the ones that actually caught me up out as well, right? So when when I first started, my first business was actually eBay, and I think one of the great things about that was the whole game was you'd sit on eBay and see what people sell for, and then you'd go to like AliExpress or Alibaba and see what they you could buy it for, and you were just yep. looking for spreads. It was an arbitrage business. So like that was the business. So I think it ingrained in me a little bit of going, oh, this is what you do. Um, Point being though is when I went into agency land, the thing that I didn't account for was to your point is like we had a trophy client where we did work for free, but they used to send us all this work. But if you've got 10 clients and one of them you're doing for free, well, you're absorbing all the cost into the other ones and you get that margin compression, right? So you might think you have a great margin and then you don't, um, which was another one that kind of caught me out. And then not raising prices over the years, another one that kind of caught me out. So I can see how, point being is I, I look at this question, I go, I can completely understand why if someone hasn't been paying attention to their numbers in the way we're talking about right now, through a whole bunch of things, and I'm not trying to be critical, but it's like if you had kept your pricing the same, hadn't been you know necessarily watching your margin closely for a couple of years, it can just evaporate. Completely. And if you're not tracking like cost of tools goes up as inflation and the cost of the world increases, but so do employees. So do all of these things. 
But for some reason, so many people don't change their pricing, don't readjust their model to factor in all of these other pressures that they get internally for expenses to reflect it back across into what they're bringing in, which then ultimately, whatever the difference between your income and your expenses are, is the business owner's like wage or salary or whatever they take out of the business month by month, quarter by quarter, year by year. So when someone sits at that point, Charlie, where they're like, oh my gosh, ping, <laughs> the epiphany light bulb has gone off of, holy smokes, I need to sort of go back to this pre-planning. Like how can they approach their business that's currently running now and they say, oh wow, this is where I'm at in order for them to maybe expand the margin so they can take some more stuff away. Like how, how could they approach this? Yeah, so I do wonder if we do this too much, by the way, right? You've mentioned we do it like twice a week, and that's probably accurate. We're always looking at margin and ways to expand. But the thing I found most helpful in my own case, well, what's worked for me really, there may be other ways to do it, is like uh, number one is awareness. Like there's the constant awareness of what my numbers are. So whether that's through uh, weekly dashboards, my monthly reports, like a month never goes by where like, I'll put it this way, I'm never surprised when I open my bank account ever. And maybe that's a great goal for some people is to feel the same, where if you feel like you can just log in or get your reports and be like, that was unexpected. That would be a sign that it, the awareness thing isn't really there. We have that. Um, What's the, the term? Charlie Matz. <laughs> so Charlie, that is a legitimate word. So Charlie just has these ways of looking at something, pondering for like 10 seconds. It's like, ah, this is what it would be. And like, okay, I sit there and go, it sounds about right. And then we'll like do the maths and we're like, yeah, okay, that was way too spot on. <laughs> Charlie maths. Well, you know, like when, when there's a chef that's like, you know, in the kitchen, he goes, oh, I need about that much spice. And yeah, like, it ends up being about the right amount of spice versus the person who has to like measure it out, which by the way, I am the person who has to measure it out when it comes to cooking. Like I don't have those chef skills. Yeah. Spice. Just <laughs> yeah. But that comes from experience, right? So I've been doing these types of businesses for so long now that it might, I think my projecting has uh, become pretty strong dislike from knee-jerk reaction. But I still validate that stuff with my reports. Completely. Does it make it any less frustrating for Bianca when she has to spend an hour doing maths on a, a spreadsheet in bookkeeping to get a number that I'm like 1% out on? <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is frustrating. I will represent her opinion. It is, Charlie. Yeah. Um, so to the point, the second thing, the thing that's really helped me pass the awareness stuff is like scenario planning. And this is something I think you and I would do particularly well. So we, we have a um, spreadsheet, which we call our capacity forecast spreadsheet. And what we look at is like, it's a whole map of the business with uh, like all the clients on it and the projected revenue or the team cost and the projected cost or the tool costs. And then we go, well, if we were to do uh, X, what would happen? Yep. So we go, if we started a new division that does TikTok ads, or we bring on a cost that's supporting Charlie's new idea for a podcast, which is called Full Bellies and Full Bank Accounts, which is a mixture of a cooking show and investing with me and Grant, where I serve him delicious food. Tell us and if you like that about, idea, by the way. Tell us if you like that idea. I was seed dropping. We're seeing if we're going to get some support Good. for it. Uh, but that spreadsheet is something where we can analyze our decisions and really look at the margin to decide if this is healthy or not healthy. And I think that's a, a really good thing to have in a business as well is like the idea of like good forecasting tools that show you what your margin's going to be or show you what it's going to turn into as well. So that would definitely be my second one. It was interesting. So I built a template for someone that we spoke about from that capacity planning. So there is no delete all tabs 
in, in like Excel and Google Sheets. I had to manually delete all of our scenarios one by one. Dude, there was like over a hundred of these done things. I'm just like, delete. Was it, really? it was huge. Wow. Was, all of these hidden tabs. I was like, delete, 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 delete. Well, I, again, it's like I always like to share what's worked for me from the perspective of like has it helped other people? And I don't want to pretend there's not other ways to do things. But let's say that spreadsheet's probably two years old. Maybe. It is. It is. That's probably and there's a hundred different yeah. scenarios on it. That's how many – so that that's one a week for two, two years. Exactly. That's how many different scenarios and thinking and planning and knowing of different margins. and Like really it shows you the financial income. Oh, sorry, financial outcomes, not incomes, outcomes of if I do X, what's going to happen here? Yep. And I would think that that's a really important thing to do and probably why the business runs in the way it does. We, we don't have those things. But I'll, I'll, this is where it gets interesting though because I think the next thing we go into here is that. So like uh, two things I think people could or I hope people will start doing from here. But the next one is in like the one that I would say I've been very, very impressed by that you actually did was the reviewing of expenses to drive margin. So we used to use uh, frame.io and a yep. whole bunch of other tools and then you did like a roll-up of things to drive down expenses. I think there's got to be some sort of review process, which we are doing ad hocly, which I think may be more formalized, but we seem to do it frequent enough. Yep. The point being is that where you're actually going through things and going, well, where, where can I innovate, whether it's driving down expenses what are the better ways to uh, do business where I can improve my margin? I love that because and the reason I love uh, reducing expenses as much as possible is one, it keeps us super lean. But every, every dollar we save is an extra dollar profit, right? And so these little, like, little things that you subscribe to and you kind of put it on the shelf or sort of these things that you thought you were going to use at some point but never did or, hey, the team really wanted a tool, which we had a uh, like an – a spelling tool or whatever it was that were like everyone's like yeah 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 we want it we want it we want it um, and then it turned out that no one used it <laughs> like there was like we were paying for like what 15 20 subs- like licenses for this thing it was like one or two people used it I'm like well obviously you don't need it <laughs> uh, I was one of those people <laughs> completely and and so it's like okay cool like let's remove this thing and it's just cutting back down the bloat um, because that expands the margin 100% whatever you remove is complete profit and so it's like it's this little hack but no one wants to look at it no one wants because to your point as well i think so many people and i actually know so many people don't look at forecasting which is obviously our capacity planning spreadsheet but also the actuals that come through from the bookkeeper and go well where where's this missing what's it looking at and all these kind of things and i'm yeah uh, that's I, a great point you've got to match it and that is something we do right we look at our our forecast to compare it to the um actual like business financials and go okay this is actually turning into what we thought it would turn into completely and the, the thing i just want to put on top like we don't over engineer this thing so we're not doing like 12 month forecasts and trying to like over engineer and go have we achieved all this no, no no it's very organic in the way that like we review these things weekly like i don't review expenses weekly but as the bookkeeper says, hey, this is what we've spent, I, I will routinely pick these things up because it's not like every 12 months I'm just going to go, hey, Charlie, let's go and do a planning day and let's go rip everything to pieces. It's, not, it's organic. It's We have these regularly because I want it to be part of a routine. I, want it to I would say it's bit. almost quarterly if, if I would look at it. It's something that's kind of projecting the next quarter in most cases, although there's definitely been some wild, like if we completely <laughs> reshaped the business, what would this look like? But that type of thinking I think is important there. 
Um, I do want to throw in a couple more things here, Grant, before we just jump on to the next one. Because I thought there was a really good thing about like, you know, what is healthy, right, is the thing that's there. So if you're doing all these things that I really want to break it into two camps here is like, one, I think every business owner can improve their margin. So like rather than like what is healthy from like a margin or profit or income perspective, I think every business owner should be playing the game of how do I improve this compared to myself. Yeah. Right. There's always a way to improve margin. And I've seen some fascinating things. I met met a guy not long ago uh, in the gym industry. I have never seen a guy in the gym industry have such a high profit margin. (laughs) I'm like, holy smokes. I know plenty of people in the fitness space. This guy's margin is like three times what I've seen everywhere else. Yeah. I'm like, how did you do that? And it's like, well, he just kept improving his own margin. Like he's pushed the limit in every category. And I was like, that is damn impressive. Like I was very, very impressed by that. And so like you you can always see within every industry, there are people with significantly better margins who have thought through this thing. So I think everyone should be playing the game of continuous improvement across themselves. Think of it like, Jim, you want to get stronger, not because like it leads to anything. It's like just there's got to be a progression. You want to see that progression. The better but the other side of it, and this is the more important one, is like you go, okay, well, I don't know what good is in my industry. Like I don't know how I compare to everyone else. And this is something we've spoken about many times is like this is where I think like networking groups, masterminds can be really powerful. But even on top of that, I'll bet you can buy an hour of someone's time who's run a successful business in every industry and ask them these questions. Like just talk about this now. Does your accountant work with other people in the same industry? And Like he doesn't have to give you their exacts, but it's like you could go, hey, uh, accountant friend, can I buy an hour of your time? I just want to know how my numbers compare to other people in this industry. Can you tell me what good is? Can you tell me like what do they spend on marketing versus delivery? Like I'd love to get some insights to where the standards are. And like how many accountants out there would you could buy that and get that intel? How many people, like we live in the time of gurus, how many people are out there running masterminds for every industry that you could buy it and say, this is the stuff I want to know? Totally. I, I love the mastermind point. It, it's funny. It actually reminds me of a story. So when I was running an SEO company, um, I wanted to validate margin, but I also wanted to validate my operating process. And there was a website, and I think it still exists, called clarity.fm. And this is where you pay per minute for advice for people. And so I, I went to this guy um, who was like this really big SEO guy over in the States and stuff. And I just bought an hour of his time. And it actually turned out like we spoke for like three hours and now we're like best mates and stuff. Like he's flown to the Philippines when I was living there to catch up with me and he's coming back to the Philippines again when we catch up. And the whole point I did that for is I'm like, this guy is like a key person in the industry. He has his own agency. He is saying, I'm available to talk to people. And all I had to do was pay money. So I didn't even need to reach out and say, hey, Charlie, are you looking to... Like, would you ever allow me to pay money for your time? No, no. It was up on a website and <laughs> I just booked it in and I had all my questions prepared and I, I, I ex- exactly extracted out what I was looking for just from that. So this whole time so and money well spent. It actually, it actually was. And for him too. He, uh, he actually made quite a bit more from it. Let's do, jump on a second. Okay. No, I want to stay here. Like, it's, I mean, it's our <laughs> podcast. We can do what we want, right? We can do what we want. Do you think a lot of business owners haven't put in this work to understand their metrics and where their business could go though? And like maybe the business they're in may not produce the outcomes they're actually hopeful for. Like, is there a hopium factor here? I, I totally think there is, but I, I, I can tell you why, what my problem was. And I, I still remember the epiphany moment of that story was 
dude, I was so proud. Like I, I didn't know if it was good, didn't know if it was bad, but I didn't want to tell anybody on the, on the fear that it was bad. Right. So I was like, I was, I got to this point. I'm like, I don't like it, but I'm like, but if I go and tell somebody what it is, then like, I'm going to start like exposing myself. And I'm like worried about what they're going to say. Right. right do you want my moment? Okay. I, do you know, that's exactly how I felt. So when I ran my first agency, I was like, how can I put it? It's like, I had really nice clothes. I wanted everyone to think I'm successful. Yes. But then behind the scenes, an absolute mess. Completely. <laughs> Completely, dude. So, so when if I told anyone my numbers and they were like, oh, hang on, you, you don't match. You look like you're doing well. So like it, it created this paradox for me. But eventually my life became so crappy that I was like, I don't care anymore. I need the help. Like it's, it's like that person who's overweight and then someone calls them fat, that suddenly that's their moment where they go, I'm changing. Yeah. But it's like they were willing to, you know, live in uh, ignorance until then. But um, uh, to, to go on from that, like after that moment, I, um, so I was running the agency and then I paid uh, a couple of guys to show me how to run an agency properly and I asked all those things and I was very embarrassed and all the rest of it. But the problem that I actually had, which I didn't realize, was that the business I was in was never going to create the income I was trying to create. Mm. And I'll express why. So I'm in the agency. I've got about 15 staff at this point, but everyone was relying on me. So no one could get any projects done without it going through me. So there was actually no ability to expand. The business had reached its cap, but I didn't know that. So I'm sitting there thinking I've got a business that can keep scaling not recognizing that, no, Charlie, you've completely built a business around your genius. You think you've got leverage in your team because it's more like an extension. It's like you can reach your arm out so far and they kind of help you reach a little bit further, but like true leverage would be that they can deliver projects without Without you. you. Yeah, and I never would have got that insight or understood that if I didn't go on that journey. So if someone's in a business, right, They and it was me, I was delusional sitting there going, well, I'm eventually going to get to a point where the business can make me this much a month. But it was never going to because I didn't have the forecasting or understanding in place. So real danger within that. Yeah. For me, I was just like, I would just, I'm unfortunately, I've come from the school of hard knocks of just like learned by failure. But I was like, anyone listening to this, please just don't do that. (laughs) Just don't do that. Or I would like read a book. And it, like the answer is in the book, but then my pride sits there and says, ah, that's not me, <laughs> right? As opposed to just go, no, you absolute idiot. Like this, don't sit there and just go, oh, that's everybody else, just not me. Like that, that's me, which is why I actually like, like the actual human interaction of somebody else, right? The more vulnerable you can be, I actually think the better you're off in this one because it's like the everyone's here to win. No one wants anyone to fail and the only way that we learn is by trying and doing things and getting that feedback loop i am um, I, I can get on a soapbox in this are there, are there any are there just around this one out really quickly here and i know we've got plenty of other questions and <laughs> we'll just start all on the rest of it. i feel like this is a really good topic it's because it's like is there any business is there any um do you have any rules or like things like uh, where it's like their businesses you wouldn't get into or if you were in this business you would get out of so i'll give you an example if you were like this is your epiphany moment and you're looking at this business and you're going, do you know what? This business only really has the potential to make me 10 grand a month. Right? Or, you know, I, or it's the margin's really thin and we've got a very high risk because if, you know, manufacturing or shipping costs change, like it wipes out. Yep. So just expand upon that. You might have a 10% margin on an e-commerce company, 
but with how currencies are fluctuating or shipping costs are fluctuating, you can go profitable and profitable. Do you have any, like, if you were looking at a business, like what type of margin you would want to see, potential earnings, scalability? Is there anything like go or no go for you? That's a loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) So let's just say it's uh, before 8am and I've had at least three coffees today (laughs) because Jack was up uh, sick last night. So I really wanted to load up on the caffeine and I just like got to load up the questions as well. I was sitting there. There's, There's like a teapot in the kitchen going, do I fill this teapot to the brim with coffee so I can keep refilling my coffee just so I can keep smashing it out for the episode? Um, completely loaded question uh, because what I look for might not be like what other people care about. So I care primarily about scalability. Like that for me is key. So if I can infinitely scale this thing where I know that I can grow, that's a big tick. Profit margin is huge. Now, every industry has got its own profit margins, Charlie, and we've spoken about this before. Manufacturing versus SaaS versus coaching versus agency, all of them have different profit margins. So for me personally, my profit margin as a percentage, I would never get ever get into anything where the profit margin would be less than a third profit margin. Jeez, yours, yours was um, – I'm, I'm 40%. I was like, it just doesn't make sense to me to go into business models under 40% in the world we live in. And don't get me wrong, I'm sure big companies on 2% margins have done really well, right? Massive companies like Heinz or whatever it is that, you know, might have a 3% margin on their sources, but their volume is huge. But I just don't think that's where the opportunity of today is. I think if you're in really thin margin businesses, the risk it carries is just not worth it. Are you going to be squeezed out completely? Completely. Now- have I seen businesses or had have we had opportunities of businesses with less than 30%? Yes, but it's just not. It's not a game I'm willing to play. Hence why I loved SaaS so much with margins that were redonkulous. The only downside with SaaS, like you could get 70, 80, 90% margins on software as a service. But then the problem is it took you years to get there. Totally. And, and, so that, and that like the whole the way it works, it can be like very thin margin in the beginning or like negative, negative margin. Negative. You're losing money while you build and then it scales really well. Um, and then I, I always feel that it's like if a business doesn't have the potential to support my wealth goals, that's just a straight no. So if you yeah. need 20 grand a month to buy properties and the business can only um, support 10 grand a month of profit, well, that's just an instant no for me. Like I'm not going to do it. Did you start your original agency with a wealth goal? No, I started my original agency delusional. Say it with me. Delusional. delusional. <laughs> I'm like, oh, we got rich in this. Surely I can. <laughs> It's going to be a blue cow moment. Thanks, Seth. <laughs> no, well, ignorance is bliss and I'm very grateful for that. But um, I think everyone's first business is really where they get their school of hard knocks. Mm. And it's like I look at that and go like there was a – I think of my first business as um, my university degree because yep. I, I didn't go to uni. So I learned a lot through that. And I was very fortunate where I made some good decisions unknowingly. But then every business I've done from that or what I changed even when I was in the agency came from more experience. It's so funny, the more that we do these podcasts, the more it becomes aware that it's like this comes back to a couple of key critical points. It's like know the goal that you're trying to run to personally and the business is a vehicle in order for you to achieve that said goal. And if you have a business that's not going to get you there, then why the hell are you even running it? <laughs> like it's, yes, totally. I'm gonna, I am going to change to the second question, Charlie. Let's do it. Before we stay on our soapboxes and preach to people. I am curious for you, 
what do you have in place before you recruit? And it's two-parter. So what do you have in place before you recruit somebody in your business? And the second one is what process do you have for recruiting people? So just on this topic when it comes to team in general, and um, I really think of a team as an asset for a business. And I know not people will uh, give it that criteria often or think of it in that way. But I really think of like a team is so critically important. Business is a team sport. Even if you're in a very like low team uh, business, you might have a couple of staff, you're probably dealing with other people and that's where the team sportness comes into it. So business is a team sport. Now, the second thing I go from that is like, I find that most business owners go for cheap. It's really interesting where they're always looking for the cheapest hiring option rather than the right hiring option. And I think the first thing I really addressed is like, what's the best option, right? I don't want to necessarily fill the team with cheap options. I want to look at it and go, well, a lot of the problems that business owners end up with is because they don't have high quality team members who can solve problems for them or have things not turning to fires. The uh, impact of hiring uh, the wrong people, low quality people, not recruiting properly, all ends up that you end up putting out fires all day. And my experience, and uh, Grant, I wonder if you back me up on this one, is like we've got some, <laughs> I would say I'm very fortunate to have such a strong team, but the A players we have are twice as good as the B players that you could potentially hire. Totally. So the Yeah, so like, and where I'm kind of going with this is more to the idea of like how I think about it beforehand of like, if I'm thinking about it in the idea that I've got to have an A player because it's going to cost me twice as much to have two B players to do the same role, or that and this is a team sport and it's like if I'm in the 90s and I'm running the NBA, I want Michael Jordan. How many of my problems go away if I've got Michael Jordan on the court? A lot. Yeah. So they're the things that I uh, put into this team question here. So, so personally, then going into the idea of like, well, what do I like to have in uh, place beforehand? Number one is some cash buffers. When you're hiring new people can be expensive and getting them up to speed to actually like be a um, income producing asset in a business because I think of them as an asset, that can take time, right? So if you've got a new person coming on, I don't expect them to be at 100% efficiency from day one, like there's a ramp up. So that's number one. Number two is uh, for beforehand, I would really think about just like really well-defined what someone's actually going to be doing. Mm. I've had like terrible experiences and I hate to admit I've done this where I've like hired someone and the role's a bit vague and I'm like, ah, oh, they'll kind of grow into it. Ah, oh, they'll work it out. We'll define it as they go. I'm like, <sighs> oh, no, Charlie, I interviewed this great person. <clears throat> I just think they're a really good person. They fit in the business quite well. Yeah, but what would they do? Ah, oh, they're just a great person. We'll figure it out. Like they're just, they're never really works. Have you ever had it work? Never. never. I've never seen it work. So I'm, I'm going to go back to a couple of points that you've said before we continue on because uh, the next stage is from this is just the recruitment process because I think you hit on three killer things. I've got a story for every single one. So the first one, which is like treat and think of your employees as assets. So firstly – in my SEO agency, I have gone on record as being interviewed on Chris Ducker's for his book, Virtual Freedom or whatever it is. So I've got like, I'm part of the bonus series where I've gone on and I said, hey, when I recruit people, I go for people with no skill because I've had challenges trying to retrain them 
on what to do. And so what I did was I actually went for people with no skill and then I had a great training process and great processes in order for them to execute. You know what's just easier than that, Charlie? Just recruiting people that are good at what they do. <laughs> like it was yeah, do, like, you, do you know this like hire on attitude and then train them? Yeah, I actually so think I, that's terrible advice. I think I a, hire on someone who's done it before for three years in a similar company to yours. Yeah, so I had a, I had a mentor <laughs> tell me, uh, which is like I evaluate two things, like their willpower and their uh, skill set was the two. And they're like, and they were willing to recruit on willpower because I can educate skill set. And I'm like, but why wouldn't you just have both? Like, why wouldn't you pay a little bit more and just have both? That's such a good point. It's not an and or, isn't it? Like someone can have a great attitude and experience. Totally. That's what you're looking for. (laughs) That's what you're looking for. So uh, to to go for that, like I was not treating my employees as assets. I was treating them as like a commodity that could be retrained and transactional and all these fun things. But in in hindsight, and it happened after the fact, just recruiting people who were good at what they do would have just helped me 10 times because – what you touched on was all of these random questions where they don't understand the context of what they're doing because they were never sort of brought in and the training didn't factor it in and all these things. I was just going from the top to bottom of a process and just only focusing on this one thing. When a curveball came at them that wasn't outlined in that straight line that I had prepared, it was like, what do I do? Well, what do you mean you don't know what to do? <laughs> well, you only told me to do this. And I, this thing zigged when it should have zagged. <laughs> what do I do when it zigs? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Um, yes. Do you, do you notice, um, I've seen this many times and even done it and I will preface this. We have some people in our organization that came on as like junior writers that have just like, now they're managers and it's been amazing to watch them excel and learn and grow. And it's like, it's phenomenal. It does happen. But I will say this, I've seen many business owners, like almost like try and promote people up into roles rather than hire people that have done it before. And I think that at times they don't necessarily measure the opportunity cost because there's so much learning. Like it's going to take that person 12 months to get good at that role where they could have had 12 months of someone executing it based on their past experience. Like you can go very fast when you're bringing people in your organization like that. It, it was it, it was really interesting. And I saw this uh, through one of the software as a service companies when we had nine developers here in Melbourne and the way that usually organizations usually uh, sort of promote people is promoting the technically strongest to the next position. So it's like, you're really good at coding. So these were developers, you're really good at coding, which means you're better than everybody else at coding. You should be a manager. I'm laughing because I'm like seeing, am I about to hear the like obvious thing with personality traits with coding that maybe <laughs> I'll let you finish it, but I can just, I can think of something about just the stereotypical coder that may impact them not being the greatest manager. Completely. And so <clears throat> we, we ended up promoting someone into <laughs> a good coder and it didn't work out well. And we actually lost a really good coder because he stepped up into that role, which is unfortunate because I'm like, ah, they were a great person. And it was interesting because the second time around, we recruited a great leader and a great manager to lead the development team. And another person that we were looking at potentially promoting, I had sat down and had a coffee with him, uh, an incredible human being. And I said, like, have you ever thought about going for management? And he's like, Grant, I've tried it. Trust me, you'll burn me. I don't want to do it. I want my head in code. I, the only reason I can say no to you is because I've tried it before. He's like, I'm a technician. I like coding. He's like, this is not going to work out well. And I'm like, okay, 
Okay. You, you see this in sales as well, right? But with yes. the coder one, just to unpack it, right? Coders are often very like uh, introverted, technically strong, where like a manager is like high EQ. You need good people skills. And I'm like, oh, that is so counter to what would have someone be successful. And I'm sure there's some unicorns out there that have both. But as unicorns, a general though. Yeah, as a general concept, I would say that that is like that would be one of the more difficult ones. Salespeople as well, right? There's often these like sales superstars that are really good at sales, but they're not their management skills are not great. What like, about marketing? Uh, <laughs> marketing, totally. They could they could do really good marketing, but they could never educate other people how to do it because they have so many knowledge levels that they've gone through. There is no reason to throw shots in this podcast, right? <laughs> stabs at me. Stabs, stabs done. Uh, so th- that was my first point on why I loved your concept around like employees as assets because I completely agree. Uh, the second one was around uh, cash buffers. And I think so many people uh, – don't understand this and you have this great story around in your agency when you scaled so quick that you didn't have the cash buffer and the cash flow to support it where you had sold a whole heap of things but you didn't have the team like as you were growing the team. So your your costs for the operations of the organization were exceeding the speed that you were getting cash in. And I actually spoke to uh, an amazing woman it was probably about two weeks ago. And so she's doing $5 million a year in re- revenue. She's a services business and she's going to, and expanding in the United States and already has about contracts for about $15 million in services per year in the United States. And I'm like, well, what's your biggest challenge? And you know what she said? She's like, I have run businesses like this and my challenge is cash. And I'm like, what do you mean? You've got $15 million in sold. She's like, yeah, but I've got to go recruit 30 people to go and deliver the services I've sold. So she's actually gone out and is raising a million dollars as cash buffer just to go and fund her in her growth into the United States. And I'm like, you have just played this ju- game. That's exactly what I wish I knew how to do at that time in my agency. Yep. I, I, it would have changed what we were able to do. I was just, well, we'll call it young and dumb, right? I'm that's like, the move. Exactly. I'm like, you have done this before. And so, and so she was asking my advice on does she sort of give out equity or she sh- should she raise its debt? And I talked to her about debt and all those kind of things. But I'm like, that is the level of EQ as a business owner, not to that scale potentially, that people need to be thinking about. Now, if you're recruiting one person offshore, it's probably not going to be a massive hit. But if you're recruiting an entire team to test something out, like you need to consider cash buffers and cash flow in order to support this growth. Well, we've done that. We've had where we've brought on an entire pod, right? You can't deliver some of our services. You need five people to deliver because mm-hmm. you might need a video editor, a writer, a Great manager, song. like all these different things. Like you can't just hire, well, what are you going to do if you've got a video editor and then no publisher or writer yeah. to go with it? So it's like sometimes you do need to bring on teams and we have done that. My, my rule though is like for every employee you want to bring on, it's three months of their salary is the, is the buffer. Yeah. So if a person costs 10 grand a month, roughly, you need 30 grand in buffer to allow that person to come into the role. I love that rule. That's a great, that's great. And actually, 30 people, that would probably apply quite well to this girl who's expanding into the States, noting that she's got to factor in offices and stuff like that. Uh, and then your third point that you mentioned around, like you have to have a defined role in the organization. I'm going to put a, a plus on the side of that and you need to know what you're willing to pay for it. And I got a story as well for this. <laughs> so down. I was, uh, I was talking to uh, one of the co-founders of a software as a service company that I invested in uh, over in Perth. Uh, this would have been last week maybe. Uh, and he, he was interviewing for developer roles. And he's like, I need just to do a sanity check against you. He's like, I found this great senior developer, at, but he wants 
3.5 times what we're willing to pay. And they were kind of looking for juniors. And he's like, I think it's going to be the right thing. And like, they've just raised a, a bit of cash, which we'll talk about in a future episode and stuff. Um, and he's like, but I think this is going to be the greatest decision. And I'm like, okay, one, what are you looking for in the organization? <laughs> like, who are you actually trying to hire outside of this opportunities come and like, oh my gosh, a shiny object. Right. But the second one is, well, what would you actually pay? I'm like, you're now talking about getting one guy instead of 3.5 other people that you were originally looking for. Are you actually going to get like an ROI on this thing? Um, and so we had this great conversation around like the difference between juniors and seniors and the price for that. And I said, you know what? If you want a senior, I understand, but cap it. Like know what you're willing to pay. It's no different to when you're trying to pull in a customer and you having a price. Like you know the price that you need to sell that thing for for your profit margin. It's the same with employees. You need to understand what you're willing to pay them and not let them dictate what it is. So we went back with a counteroffer. So remember, this guy asked for 3.5 times what he was willing to pay and he went back with twice, like double what he was willing to pay, which is, I'm like, hey, you're overpaying for a senior, but no problems at all, go for it. Do the guy, accepted like that. And I'm like, this is why you need to he, he negotiated well is what I'm going to Comple- say. Because I'm like, he didn't even flinch, which means – and so this is why you need to understand the role that you're recruiting for because, like, they weren't recruiting for a senior. Now they're paying for a senior, which I think is probably a good idea right now for where they are. But I'm like, but if they had just accepted what this guy was, like, looking for without thinking about what they need, what they can budget for and all these things, it would have been a very different scenario that probably would have been horrific in a couple of months' time. Completely. Okay. All right, I'm going to throw some quick questions around this one because I think there's some um, really important things around it. What do you like from a waiting perspective? Like, we get uh, resumes and applications, interviews, and then test tasks. And I think everyone's kind of aware with the idea of that. How do you wait these things or think about these things? Like, do you, you know, are you more like an interview guy where you feel like you can read them and that's more strong for you? Are you more like, all I care about is the test task, their application? Is this just a filtering thing for you? You've done a lot of recruiting this year, Grant. I'm, I'm curious of your thoughts. <laughs> I've done a lot of recruiting, full stop. Uh, I love this. So I actually kind of come back to that willpower slash personality and skill set. And so the way that I think about it is like the skill set is defined by the challenge. And I, I can kind of improve. If I know what gaps you're deficient in, I can probably improve that with the existing team and some training and stuff like that. Like the managers will help you with some of that stuff. So that's almost like a – the challenge to me is almost like a filter. Like do you have a turnkey ability – where the challenge I'm sending you is majority of what your job's going to be. And if you can do that well enough, then okay, no worries at all. I can, feel, I can see what- Just for context, a challenge is a test task for anyone yeah. coming through so for, internal term. For a developer, you'll give them like a coding challenge where you say, hey, build this thing or ch- change this thing that pre-exists. For like a content writer, you'll say, hey, write this thing, video editor, hey, edit this thing kind of thing. Um, so that one's more of a filter. But you, if you fail the filter, you can't go to the next one. But if you're above like a 70% for me, and I can see that you have great foundational skills that I could just improve on and you just probably never faced those challenges before, great, you're through. Like it's not like you, it's not an on and off switch, it's fine. Like as long as I go, yep, I can see where your gaps are, happy, I'll bring them into the interview stage. And then the interview stage is where I grill them on the challenge to see how they can take feedback, how quick they can pick up new concepts because I'm like, hey, this is what you did wrong, what would you do now? And if they can articulate it back to me, I'm like, oh, you can solve problems now. But then I'm looking for willpower, uh, passion, et cetera. Um, and so 
the interview is the critical one for me where the, the challenge is a filter, but then also their application is a filter because I won't pick up anyone that hasn't already had a couple of years of experience doing basically the thing because I don't want to be their first rodeo. I don't want to be the one teaching them. This is how an organization works. This is what an agency operates as, et cetera. So it's like a filter for the resume review and like some application questions, a filter for the challenge and then everything on the, on the interview. I want to ask a question on this one because I, we're kind of like universally talking about hiring, like hiring a developer is the same as hiring a manager, right? In that, in that ideation there. But I would say right now, when I've hired, let's say developers in the past, interviewing a developer when they're often very, uh, I'll say often very introverted and not the greatest communicators versus, uh, managers which are like often very like high IQ, very bubbly very talkative people that interview like and you're grilling them it can be very very different like the role specific and i, I there's definitely personality types in roles right we see this thing where like definitely. some people are more suited how, how do you approach that because i look at it and go you might have a better chance grilling a manager and understanding their thought process than you would a developer in this example and this, yeah so this, this comes back to the school of hard knocks where I've completely like lost some great applicants before because I've misread the situation and I've tried to apply the same to everybody. Um, Give, gives you the best test task you've ever seen, but then you just annihilate them on the media because they don't communicate like your manager. Dress, dress them down and then all of a sudden their Zoom drops out. I've, I've had that quite a few do, times. Do you, to throw it more, I found I've been biased to like what my own team's like. So if someone on my own team, like let's say one of our managers communicates and is a certain way, I just find I'm always comparing the next person to them. And you do it for yourself as well, like your own personality. So this comes back to like emotional intelligence. And most business owners, because we're the ones when we start out our business selling and doing marketing, and most of us have got a decent enough-ish emotional intelligence where you need to be able to read somebody, right? Like if somebody's obviously going through, uh, like if a developer is introverted, I'm obviously not going to be as much of myself as I usually am, <laughs> which is like overexcitable and all these kind of things versus if I'm going and interviewing a salesperson, right? Like, cause it's going to be very different, but the fundamentals of what I'm evaluating are the same. It's just the tonality and what I would present and how I pr- approach myself. So I still want to know, have you seen situations like this before and how have you solved it? And was it you who solved it? Uh, I still want to challenge them on how do they receive feedback and can they rearticulate the feedback that they have received back to me in a way that has changed their thinking. It's just the way that I deliver it is not so much me dressing someone down like I, my natural personality would be. It would be much more from a supportive, like, how do you feel about this? Like, is this what you think versus a salesperson, which is like, why? Why did you do that? Like immediately, what was your thinking around it? Um, but that's just reading a room and understanding the person that you're talking to. Um, and yeah, unfortunately there's no great books on good, like how you can go and adapt to it. But I think it's just, most people will understand sort of how to read somebody and things like that. So I, we want to get to hopefully another question, although we are running long on this one here. I want to actually, we'll just do these two. We'll just and, do these two. Uh, I want to add some, I'll add some more points in. We'll probably do another Q and a episode for uh, covering some more. We've got, got some great other questions here. Um, but I want to ask this one because I think it's really relevant is how many applicants do you think is enough or is there a volume of applicants? Because again, I will say one, I've done this and then two, I see it pretty commonly still today is like sometimes people are choosing of like, who's the best applicant out of a pool of two people and both of them are terrible. Yeah. 
So I, I go crazy. So I think of it like <laughs> you and I have had this situation where in business, how great is business when you've got 100 leads coming at you and you get to pick like the couple that you work with? Like it's amazing. Yeah, pick of the litter. <laughs> you literally handpick the greatest ones. And so for me, I, I have to have applicants in the tens and I don't expect applicants to be in the hundreds. And why do I expect that? Because I, I reckon I personally pull about 10% of them, maybe even 5% of them through into a challenge. And so if you're going off those numbers, like if you've got 10 applicants, like you're pulling in one, maybe two people in because automatically I'm like, have you done the thing that I need to recruit you for? Um, and then the questions that I ask, which is like, uh, why are you leaving your current job and all these kind of things? I'm like, they usually don't filter through that. So for me, I probably like the roles that we've recruited for like the last five roles. I think we've had, and I could probably log into the recruitment platform. I know we've had 110 for one and the other ones were probably around like 60, 50 and 70. I think it was off the top of my head. Um, but that's me going hard. Now, a lot of people, when they approach recruitment, like they'll, <laughs> they'll throw it like a thing up on like seek or they'll throw like a thing up for like Philippines employees, like on like online jobs or something. And they'll wait. It's like, They'll, they'll, they'll come, Charlie. <laughs> they'll come. When my approach is fundamentally different, dude, I'm, I'm an eagle. Like I'll go out and hunt. So I'll go headhunting. I'll ping people on LinkedIn. I'll go and ravage resumes on uh, online jobs or I'll go through wherever I can find a resume. I will go and invite people in to apply to this job. I don't care if they're looking for a job, not looking for a job. I will pull in the best possible talent just because if they've got that one point, I'll pull them in. And I don't do it at one point. I do it daily until I fill that role. Heck, even on online jobs, I do it twice a day. I go hunting twice a day to pull people in just because I'm like, if I find those great people, it's going to change yours and my life on our leverage, on our team, everything. Uh, that was probably my most loaded question on this episode because <laughs> I know you do that. And I I would say that there's a, a few more things is like, Again, it's like just putting the job up and having people come to you, I think, is outdated. You might have picked up it's a tight labor market out there. Come so you got to be doing – you got to be willing to do the extra stuff to get the good people. I also think in many cases um, the people you want already have jobs. So sometimes you do have to really reach out to people that are in other things and get them to see there's a better opportunity for them. Yep. Is another way you get access to candidates that aren't just sitting there trying to apply for things. I think that's a really interesting one as well. But I, I want to throw in some of the business owner stuff here because like hiring process, um, like don't get me wrong, there's some great books and courses and I think you've shared many, many things. But um, from the business owner perspective, something that I don't think gets enough of the conversation is business owners wait too long to hire yeah. and then they're desperate yep. for someone so then they don't have the time or ability to get enough quality candidates or do the work that you're referencing here. They end up with a really small candidate pool pick a shitty option, hire them, it doesn't work out, and then they have to start again. And they're already coming from behind the eight ball. Like You're already playing from behind. It's, that's an impossible situation. Yeah, and to throw it on top from that is like I think a lot of people aren't confident in marketing and sales, so hiring people makes them very nervous because then they go, well, if I hire someone and I can't get the work. <sighs> yeah. So then like there's this fear thing that kind of runs through them. So like another like symptomatic thing of like, uh, being and I'm going to say being a full stack business owner is like having not only the confidence but the ability to grow a business to support a bigger level of team. 
and this this comes back to what we were talking about in the first question as well. Like if if you've planned for these, like if your margin's so thin, how can you have a bench? Like we literally have a, a pod available at any one particular time for these exact reasons because it's factored in to the prices that we charge. Because it's like, well, yes, these people will produce things, but when we if we need to scale, like bam, like if we've got an ideal client that just knocks on Charlie's door and just says, I want this thing, and we're like, yes, we want to work with you, etc. It's there. Availability is there. Capacity is there. But so many people don't have that bench available, which means it's like, okay, Charlie, I would love to take you on, but just wait because i got to recruit and then train and then do all these things or I'll pull you in and I'm just going to absolutely max out my team at the moment because they're already working on things, but I really didn't want to lose this opportunity. And so now I'm going to kill my team, which makes my problem even worse because now my team's going to be maxed out, probably leave which means now I'm not recruiting for growth. I'm recruiting to refill and then trying to grow on top. And it's this forever cycle of people just going, oh my gosh, I'm in this grind of recruitment, which then leads them to exactly the point you said, picking up B players and even C players and just trying to do with what they've got because they want to get back to selling. When it was pointed out to me that the most expensive thing in a business is hiring the wrong person, when you actually lay down the maths of like, if you go through this entire recruiting person, hire someone and it doesn't work out, that you actually lose three months. Yep. And it's the cost of that three months you should be measuring. Totally. When I actually did the maths on that, it made me take recruiting so much more seriously. You know, um, yeah, on the other side of that, like having available people, like I'm just going to choose my words wisely here. There's this level of abundance in capacity and skill set in the organization where what some business owners would accept as like a like if someone was delivering to not the standard you were expecting, but you didn't have anyone else available to replace that role if you had to put pressure and potentially performance manage someone out, that that is a very risky spot because you're going to start accepting a lower level of service for your customers because you don't have availability for that because it's like, oh, it's too challenging for me to replace this person. I will just accept it and I will eat glass and I'll try and fix it myself as opposed to going, hey, maybe you're not the right person, the right spot, et cetera. Now I've got this other person that I can help fill that in and going and recruiting from them. Do you know how I think about that? I think about like living week to week. It's like if you've only got enough money to live week to week and you've got no room for any curveballs, like just how much risk is in that? Where like if you've got – uh, buffer funds or enough investments or whatever is like you don't have that risk. Yep. I think the same is true with team. If your teams, if you don't have like Grant, how many curveballs have you got this week? <laughs> we know those curveballs. Yeah, but we know they're coming. That's the expectations where yep. I think a lot of business owners expect things to run perfectly and like they're not going to get these curveballs where it's like what if all your team only needed to be at 80% capacity? And there was always room for curveballs. Like how much better could a business run if there was room to take on challenges when they come because we know they're going to come? Yeah. Like like what if, and I, I think recruiting is a part of that and th- having that type of mentality, you show up differently in business. Totally. If you have great quality people and they have capacity to do work well and you've got spare resources to tackle any challenges, that's when business I think can be very, very different and also wildly profitable if you're doing it right. I I totally concur because it's a business owner you're coming from a position of an abundance as opposed to a position of like scarcity. One right. more point I'll throw in on the recruiting one um, that I'd, I've just become a really big fan of 
Uh, one of the things we do quite often is when we bring on someone new is they shadow with someone else for a week or so, depending on the role. And I have found that to be one of the best ways to get new talent up to speed quickly rather than them kind of like starting in their own role. Totally. So like if someone, if uh, I'll use an example, let's say someone comes on and they're going to be a manager. If you can have them work with another manager for a week, even though they're not producing any output in that week, they pick up so much from that person that when they do start managing for themselves, I've really noticed that they're like over the, let's say the next four weeks, they get way further and become way more productive than they would have if they had just started managing things themselves. Yeah, so we 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 break it down and because uh, I like that and I want to extend it onto the next couple of weeks in a bit more detail. So the first week is literally just shadowing and watching some trainings and sort of getting getting familiar, right? Second week is them starting to do the thing with like a hawk, just sitting over the top of them, going, "Hey, you do this." change this, approach this slightly different. Like it's almost like having a, a buddy. So the first one is like training. Second week is like having a buddy system at like a tiny, like a quarter of their capacity of what they should be. Then the second week is them picking up more like 50% of their capacity where they're starting to become more autonomous on the first, like whatever they were working on on the first week, now it's autonomous, right? But they're still picking up these new things and they're working with another person whilst they're doing that. Third week, think of it like 75%. The other person is still there just helping them out. And the last week, it's almost like, great. All right, Charlie, you do the thing. I'm here. All questions, I'll jump on calls, I'll help you out, but I'm just going to do a quick QA or quality assurance across what you're doing before you send it out. And then the fifth week, all right, you're free to go. Now, that is how we try to do it across most roles, but some roles are pretty much turnkey, which is where that one week, like if you're bringing on a video editor, I just got to train you around how we do the thing, but you're pretty good at it anyway. Just go and do it. Like you, you can go and do it. We might not hit you 100% on your second week, but go and do the thing. You'll like We're here to support you. Um, one question I got for you, Charlie, because this, this is something that um, I was talking to a gentleman that we know uh, yesterday about this point. Having one person with one skill set for one role do you support that or do you always think that you should have two people f- with the same skill set for the same role for redundancy? Like, How would you approach that? Like, for example, if you were doing video editing for people and it might just be a small part of your service or you might just be starting out or whatever the situation may be and you only have like one video editor, would that freak you out or would you be completely okay with that, noting the reliance on that individual? Because I know that there are quite a few people out there that, say, no, you need to always have two of every single role. So if one person leaves, you've got someone available to go and pick up the thing whilst you recruit for others. How do you think about that and how do you approach it? Yeah, well, let, let's just go through this. Is like in the 90s, like how, if you're owning the Chicago Bulls, you're the owner and you've got Jordan, the star asset. What if he's sick? What if he's away? Like you, re- like I'm like, whoa, this is pretty risky. Now, I realize in uh, many, many businesses and many, many circumstances, and we can even make this about investing. Imagine you've just got one investment, no Ooh, diversification. Cool. How, do you, how do you feel about that? Great. Yes. I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So if you had everything you have in one house, yep. how do you feel? For me, Terri- terrified. <laughs> Absolutely out. terrified. And uh, so this is where it kind of ties into what we talked about at the start. This is like business model design stuff. Mm. Like personally, I wouldn't own, run or get into a business that carried that type of risk. Now, that doesn't mean a business isn't going to have that risk when they're starting out, but I feel like the objective should be over 
12 months or whatever it is, is like you get to that stage. Yes. So in the media company, right, yes, there was a point where we had one video editor, but that was never the intention of the business. It was going, okay, we're going to get to a point where we have several video editors, a point several designers. So uh, I decided it was less risky to have a bigger company with m- multiple people who can do a role rather than um, one person risk. One person risk is incredibly dangerous when it comes to business. And it looks like I've got a, a little friend out the window trying to <laughs> squirt hey, me with a water pistol here. Hello, Jack. <laughs> hey, buddy. Dude, I love Hi. this podcast. So good. Uh, should we wrap it up so you can go play with Jack? Uh, do you know what? I think we should. Absolutely should. And we'll, we'll shoot the second half of this Q&A at another point. Please, as we've said on this podcast already, if you want to send me an email or uh reply to us in the Facebook group or check in on the Facebook group, you can send them in here. In the next Q&A, let's focus on the wealth questions. We've done quite a few business questions on this. We'll do a wealth Q&A next. Totally agree. And I love how a lot of these questions do weave into wealth creation as well. Yeah, well, <laughs> let me just go through that. I think it's really important here because people may not connect the dots. Is like if you have a great team on the thing we've spoken about here and you improve your hiring process, that's going to help you create the profits where you can potentially invest better. Not only that, all the hiring things we've just spoken about, well, I have property managers. Yep. I have wealth, wealth team. team. Yep. Like these things transfer straight over from here. And then uh, the second one I'll say is like we've mentioned like uh, what's a good margin, what's a, you know, in the first question here where we're talking about, you know, how should the business pay us and all the rest. Same things apply to wealth. Yep. Like what's a good investment? What would you accept from a, a yield or a capital growth rate rent? Do you expect to it, for it to increase? Like – I'll, but you I'll, can design and forecast. Do you have a forecast at all for your property stuff, Grant? <laughs> Dude, that thing has tabs on tabs. <laughs> yes. And, and this is the thing and premise of this whole show is I think when people can recognize that it's all business, like wealth is a business, it's just a different business than potentially the one you run day to day, all these skills transfer straight across from one to the other and that's what being a business owner is the superpower of. Yeah, it's a unique like You can transfer. Yeah, it transfers all across. Totally. So if you're listening to this and you're sitting there going, holy smokes, you've unpacked a can of worms. I got a thousand more questions. Uh, just reply to Charlie's emails and just say, hey, I'm thinking about this. This is a challenge I'm proposing. Or head over to the Facebook group, Full Stack Business Owner Community. Ask your questions in there because I love these Q&A episodes. And I just want to say thank you to everybody for subscribing. And we look forward to catching you again on the next episode of Full Stack Business Owner.